This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Bahadu. Welcome to our program today, and do we ever have a program for you? We are bringing back uh, Chrisana Duran, who is just such a wealth of information, and Ahana will talk more about her in just a few moments. But as usual, Ahana, I have to report on what a gorgeous morning it is here in San Diego. And woke up to the birds singing and the sun shining, and... Uh, we had a wonderful Valentine's Day yesterday and doing a little bit of readings over at Wine Steels in Point Loma last night and uh, having a fun time there. Of course, you didn't have such a fun time, Mahano. You were a little ill last night. But anyway, um, Mahano made everyone, Mahano made me this gigantic Valentine's Day card, which was an acrylic painting with a heart and two swans and flowers decorated all around it so I woke up to that surprise yesterday morning and anyway um Ahana what do you have to report today well Angel Rose I thought that that heart that I painted was going to be lost and forgotten into the realms of history (laughs) and I am so glad that you remembered it again this morning because it took such effort and such an enormous amount of training and planning and organizing (laughs) I think the Irish Blarney's coming out now, Hannah. Was that true? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Angel Rose, it was an absolute pleasure to work on that for you. And it was a joy to deliver it. And the look on your face was absolutely fantastic. And I don't think there's anybody in the state of California that received such a huge Valentine's card yesterday morning. That's probably true. So let's go to a few of our announcements, if we could. We have Ahano's new book, The Reincarnation of Columbus, well, almost ready to deliver. Wouldn't you say, Ahano? Yes, indeed. It's just days away from pressing the go button on it. I've got all the back matter and the front matter. Do you know, it's an interesting thing about writing a book. You think that it is just a matter of getting your content down and, hey, presto, you've got a book. But when you're doing it yourself, especially in this new age of self-publishing, It really is a huge undertaking to create all that what they call the front matter, you know, all your table of contents and your your introduction and your prologue and all of that. And then, of course, your back matter and the back matter contains all kinds of things, appendixes and indexes. And (laughs) my God, it just seems to go on forever about the author and all sorts of stuff that has to go on the end. And then you've got all that formatting. And the formatting is critical for the presentation of the new book. So we're learning lots and it's really, really a lot of fun at the same time. But these are the very things that cause delays. And I can understand now why traditional publishers would say you need lead time. You know, you need six, eight, nine months ahead in order to be able to deliver a book. And I can understand why that is the case now. But this has been in production for far longer than eight or nine months. This has been in production for 27 years. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. There's the truth. And I believe there's a book in everybody. And it sometimes may lie longer and dormant 
for longer than that. So the time is get your book out. It's inside you. And our guest today has got lots of books behind her. Chrisanna Duran. She has written a book that explains the uptrending galactic frequencies and changes in the core of the earth. It's called The Web of Life and Cosmos, Human and Bigfoot Ancestors. And it's written as a primer to learn the time star. And in this book, she, ex- she examines the chaotic genesis of civilization and Bigfoot's DNA mutation. But more about that in a few moments, because Angel Rose has this wonderful announcement. Well, which one, Ahanu? Which announcement are we talking about? You've got to tell everybody about your forthcoming workshop. <clears throat> Yes, my forthcoming workshop is this uh, weekend coming, February 22nd and 23rd in Fallbrook, California, which is about an hour uh, from San Diego. And I will be teaching uh, people how to read the Akashic Records. And it's going to be, we've actually got such a wonderful group assembled already, and we really only have very, very few spaces left. So if you are interested, you do need to go to worldofempowerment.com and sign on. I am going to cut it off within a few days. So if you are, like I say, interested, you need to go register now. That's worldofempowerment.com. And uh, our setting is, I took a long time to find our perfect setting. So we rented a beautiful vacation home in Fallbrook. And uh, we've got an infinity pool on the property and we've got uh, lovely scenery and we're out in nature and we see mountain views and vineyards. But Ahanu, the best part is what's going to happen the next morning. And we need to tell people after the workshop, early in the morning on Monday the 24th, I am taking Ahanu for his birthday for a hot air balloon rise, a sunrise hot air balloon a festivity with champagne and hot breakfast. Wow, I'm looking forward to that, Angel Rose. Yes, yeah, so I bring me back to the Wizard of Oz, and I don't know if you remember, Hano, but that balloon ride, the man didn't know how to control it, and he just went off sailing into the sunset, and uh, who knows where he landed. And will I look down and say, this is not Kansas? <laughs> it won't be Kansas, it will be the vineyards of California. But, okay, so that announcement, and then one more small one, just that my own book is at the publisher, as we speak, The Nature of Reality, which will be the transcripts from source through the Akashic Records on all sorts of questions that uh, you, the people, have asked about reality and time and dimensions and the purpose of life and how does it work and what are we all doing here. So that's due to come out in April. So if anyone's wanting to pre-order that, they can go to the nature of reality dot info. Is that correct, Ahana? All right. So enough announcements, Ahana. We have a lot to talk about today. So would you like to introduce our wonderful guest today? Well, Chrisanna was on the show last July 2013, and we really did have a riveting hour discussing Bigfoot. And of course, most scientists discount the existence of Bigfoot and consider it to be a combination of folklore and misidentification and hoax rather than a living animal. 
because of the lack of physical evidence, I suppose, really, and the large numbers of creatures that would be necessary to maintain a breeding population. But there are a few scientists around, such as Jane Goodall and Grover Krantz and Geoffrey Meldrum, and they've expressed interest and some measure of belief in the creature. And Chrisanna Duran is back as our special guest again today. And she certainly believes Bigfoot exists and is here to tell us more about it. But we will particularly be discussing her new book called Web of Life and Cosmos, Human and Bigfoot Ancestors. And this is really, really fascinating stuff. She is at the cutting edge. She's an ancient alien researcher. So let's welcome Chrisanna Duran. Hi, Chrisanna. Are you there? Yeah, I'm there. I'm here. Oh, good to How good to talk guys? with you again. Yeah, I'm really glad to to be here. Yeah, so are you, you still you still over there in Montana? I am. And how is the how's the weather been over there by you? Well, amazingly, the weather has been overall warmer than it was ten years ago. Huh. Uh, ten years ago, I can remember it going to minus 20 for a week or even two weeks at a time. I remember one year it was 43 below. Not here in Missoula, but in eastern Montana. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the most part, it's been in the 30s, maybe the 20s. We got down to some sub-zero weather for a few days, and then it popped right back up. We've had Hmm. very light snow. Yeah, it's, it's it's a changing weather pattern is what we're in. Right. Well, now speaking about rising temperatures, Chris Ann, let's talk about rising frequencies. We were speaking on our own show a couple of weeks ago, and in the the uh, Akashic Records groups that mm-hmm. we do on Sundays, we were speaking about the rising frequencies on the planet, and we were speaking about radiation and all kinds of different things. But you expressed an interest in that about the rising frequencies and your own new book now, The Web of Life and Cosmos, talks about these frequencies. Can you give us a little background as to where you're coming from with this concept of Web of Life and Cosmos? I'll be, I would, I would love to do that. I, I want to lay a little bit of background, okay? And, sure. the, and the first thing we need to understand is you can pretty well forget the cosmology that Western science has given us. <laughs> and, I, and I say that because, you know, we, they recently launched Voyagers, space probes. And as soon as those Voyagers got out into the galaxy, got out of, you know, got to the boundaries of the solar system, the heliosphere, it did not work the way they thought it would. Um, uh, Western science has always believed that cosmic rays, first of all, they used to believe cosmic rays were part of the electromagnetic spectrum. Well, recently they've realized, oh, no, they're not. They're actually subatomic particles. Uh, and then they have interactions uh, that then bring them into the electromagnetic spectrum as they step down. Okay, so those are cosmic rays. And they always believed that cosmic rays were just these random things that were exploding from dying stars, supernovas. Well, when they got out into the galaxy, they found out that cosmic rays actually flow in a preferential direction, which means 
They flow in a definite direction. They're not just randomly scattered all over the galaxy the way they had always thought. And so then you have to ask, what is directing this preferential direction? What's causing it? Well, now, this this has only uh, been discovered in the last six months, so we don't really have any good theories. But what we do know is that the galaxy, once we get out of the solar system, it is not the way science thought it was. So forget black holes. Um, Stephen Hawking, who first introduced the theory of black holes, recently announced he no longer believes in them, that they violate the principles of quantum mechanics, so they can't be really true. So now we have like 20 years of believers in black holes, and the creator of the theory says, forget it, they don't work like that. Um, So what we have is Western science is quickly crumbling in its basic theory. In fact, I read an article uh, that interviewed a physicist and I'm sorry, I, I don't remember his name. Um, I can find it and give it to you later. Because mm-hmm. I saved the article. And the journalist at the end of the interview said, well, is there anything that you can predict now? They were talking about how the predictions for the galaxy just fell apart once we got a space probe out there and saw what's really out there. And the scientist said he didn't want to make any predictions he said, I'm sure the galaxy is far more creative than we are. So that is where we stand right now, that our, our Western theories are just, they're not working. Um, what does work is a very ancient Hindu system. Um, and it's the Hindu yugas. Is this any connection at uh, all to, to, the, to the Mayan concepts of time? Yes, it, yes, it does, but ah. I have to explain it to you. Sure, We're going to have ahead. to go to basic, basic bare-bones skeleton um, of, of, of what the cosmos is about. Um, and I don't want to go off into too many tangents, but I will tell you <clears throat> that I compare and I find strong correspondences between three different, very ancient systems. One is the Hindu system. One is the Native American, uh, which the Mayan developed from, and the other one is the Greek. So you have areas in Mexico at Teotihuacan, um, which is the was the mother culture of ancient Mexico. Um, then we can go to Greece. And in Greece, I'll just characterize it with Apollo, the, you know, the Delphi and Apollo. And then we can go to, to India. We go to southern India, and you find the indigenous Tamil people in southern India, way down on the southern tip. And these three indigenous systems have have almost identical, uh, they, they use a, a system, a, a 24,000-year system that's nearly identical, okay? Yes. And I call those the three gateway centers. 
And in um, in what was it, 1894, Sri Yukswar was Yogananda's teacher. Now you you've got to be familiar with Yogananda. He has a center right out there in San Diego. Oh, yeah, indeed, we spend some time down there. It's an absolutely wonderful place on the Pacific Coast. A beautiful center that he created. Uh, a meditation gardens and lecture center and a beautiful little <clears throat> store that they have there with all his books. It's a beautiful little place. Very, very well recommended. Exactly. So Yukswar was Yogananda's teacher, and he's the one who sent Yogananda to the United States to found the, the um, uh, fellowship center there. And he calculated the yugas, the correct dates for the yugas, and he published them in a book called The Holy Science in 1894. And uh, Yuxlar said that in the past, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, much earlier, um, an error had been made in calculating the yugas. So he recalculated them. And he came up with a 24,000-year cycle, which I have on my webpage um, at AtlanticPhoenix.com. And that's AtlanticPhoenix.com. And you go to the page. You click on Seminars. Okay, where is it? I'm webinars it online. Okay, that link. Uh-huh, Seminars online. And you click on Cosmic Fire. Cosmic fire. <clears throat> and over here on the right-hand side, you have the Hindu Yugas and the Great Year. Okay. So you, you are concluded there's a 24,000-year cycle that the Earth has a dual, has, has another planet that it orbits with. He calls it our dual. And when we approach that dual... We go into high. We go into more intense energies and high frequencies, and he called it universal magnetism. And when we are in that energy, when we're close to that energy, your men, the mental virtue is very high. In other words, we're going into a higher frequency area. Mm-hmm. When we orbit away from that center. We're descending from it. We have less exposure to this high energy source, and the frequency goes down. So does this account for the cycles that we experience when they talk about going into a a dark age and a golden age? Is that what accounts for those cycles? Absolutely. And on this graphic that I did here, on this image that I did, I compared some of these dates, okay? So in 13,000 years ago, you'll see it over here on the left, it's at uh, 13,501 BP, before present, which was 11,501 BC. Um, We reached, we were, we had, we were at a peak. We were at, at the closest point, which is called perigee for astrologers and astronomers, we were at the closest point to our duo, to this 
scholastic energy that we get exposed to. And that is, at that point, um, at that point, we had another event happen, which I'm going to explain to you in a minute. Um, we had we had a super wave at that point. We know we had a super wave. A super wave is uh, cosmic rays, high frequency galactic radiations. We know it happened in this period about 13,000 years ago because of um, the you know residues in the ice core, tree rings. We have physical evidence that we were exposed to a very high level of cosmic rays 13,000 years ago mm-hmm. when we were at the peak with youth forces, we were closest to that center. Right. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to interject here also. Cosmic rays either travel at the speed of light or nearly the speed of light. They're very, very, very fast. Mm-hmm. And they're very, very powerful. All right, so that was 13,000 years ago. And then we began, we went into a descent. We, we well, began to move away from that. Let me ask you right Pardon? there, Chrisanna, is that the same time period then? I'm just trying to relate this back to what we already know, because you're at the, you're at the cutting mm-hmm. edge of this, this research. But for what we already know in terms of the developments that were taking place on the planet at that point in time. And in our last discussion with you, you mentioned that Bigfoot seemed to appear on the planet round about perhaps 12,000 years ago. Is that the beginning then of the time period that we are somewhat familiar with and the discoveries that we're making now archaeologically? Well, yes, but let me say, Bigfoot has been on the planet living on the planet continuously since about three, for about 300,000 years. This is according to the Arcturians. Right. I'm a UFO experiencer, and I have contacts with the Arcturians, and that is what they say. Okay. It, um, about 300,000 years ago, Bigfoot was introduced on this planet. And, but what happened is 13,000 years ago, there was a five-year DNA study that Melba Ketchum did, and she found a mutation in Bigfoot's DNA, 13,000. Well, she, she put it between 15,000 and 12,000 years ago. So between 15 and 12 are 13,000 years right in there. Now, the thing about, the thing about this 13,000-year VP period is that at that time we were getting huge die-offs. Um, all species were experiencing an extinction, but especially large mammals. And it was in that period that DNA mutated. These high frequencies can cause mutations. Right, yes. Gamma yes. can cause mutations. Mm-hmm. Um, mutations can occur under any kind of a very extreme condition. But when we're talking high frequencies, we're talking the potential for mutations. And we have the evidence in the ice core, we have the evidence in tree rings, and that's exactly when a completely independent DNA study found that Bigfoot's DNA mutated. 
But then something else really interesting happened. Yeah, I just wanted to, to say that this is all really interesting, that it would come up now at this point in time, Chris Anna, because it's what we're finding also in the Akashic Records, in our discussions that we have on Sunday mornings and in the various writings that Angel Rose is doing. It's tying very, very neatly and dovetailing very neatly into what you're, dis- you're finding in your research with the Hindu, Hindu yuga, Yugas and the Great Cycles. And uh, I, I find that absolutely fascinating, that it's also coordinated with all the recent discoveries. And w- what I find really fascinating, though, is that a lot of mainstream science would actually discount the, the abilities that you display, like, for example, speaking with the Arcturians or somebody who may have psychic abilities or able to read the Akashic records, for example, and they will discount that in the absence of hard science. But what they're finding is that all of this is actually coming together. Absolutely. Now, you're absolutely correct because what happened? Okay, so the cycle started... We reached the peak 13,000 years ago. We descended away from the center, and then we started moving back towards the center. Um, what's the date? It's on, this, it's on the chart here. Um, 499 AD. We began to move back. In other words, we reached rock bottom in 499 AD. And we began the ascent. So now we're like 1,500 years into the ascent back to the, the center. You know, that. Uh, I, I will tell you that Edgar Cayce is very, very interesting. Edgar Cayce only mentions, he did 14,000 readings. He only mentioned several stars. Arcturus, he repeatedly mentioned. And he talked about it. He said, our solar system orbits Arcturus. He said that several times. And, he's, and he, then he talked about Arcturus as a stargate. So, based on Casey's reading, this orbit goes around Arcturus. Now, Western science has found, they believe, from observations of, of Arcturus's behavior, that Arcturus has a twin star. It's, it's reacting to something that they have not yet identified what it's reacting to. Mm-hmm. Well, according to Casey, it's reacting to us. <laughs> oh. That it is the center of our solar system's orbit, that there's a secondary orbit, and that we're orbiting Arcturus. Right. Okay? Now, what's really interesting is that yuga means yoke, you know, like you're yoked together with your dual. Yes. And the Babylonian star catalog, the name for Arcturus means yoke. Interesting, huh? Wow, that's amazing, yes. So, yes. It, it is amazing. I mean, it, just, it, it was stunning to find that that the Babylonians called Arcturus the yoke. And that is what yuga literally means in Sanskrit. So we're, let's say that we're, we're orbiting around Arcturus, and Arcturus is an orange giant, by the way. It's huge. Casey said it was a stargate. 
And so we we were at our farthest point away from 499 A.D., and then we started going back towards the closest uh, point with our tourists. And we entered a whole new yuga, a whole new cycle in 1899. And if you look back at 1899 and what was happening there, that is when the industrial age was starting. And then after that, we got the nuclear age, we got the electronic age, we got the computer age. And yes. then um, the, the Mayan long count ended in 2012, which was exactly 113 years after we fully transitioned into the new yuga. So this is this quickening and this mental virtue is exactly what Yuxwar said would happen when you approach, uh, you make your ascent towards that great center. Right, yes. Let me, uh, Chrisanna, let me just mention to our listeners, because of the fact that we're on radio, it's always difficult to describe pictures to people. And we have the benefit of looking exactly. at... Yeah, we have the benefit of looking at your actual picture your graph, which people can see on your website, AtlantisPhoenix.com, AtlantisPhoenix.com. And you've everything laid out very beautifully. But in this particular picture that we're looking at, it's labeled the uh-huh. Hin- Hindu Yugas and the Great Cycle. It's, a, it's showing a 24,000-year Earth-Solar Galactic Cycle. And it's a big circle. Right. And around the circle, you've got the various ages, like the Golden Age, the Silver Age, Bronze Age, Iron Age, Silver Age, and back to gold. And then you've got that uh, broken down into the various time periods that we're familiar with, like, for example, 12,000 years before present, 5,000 years, uh, 499 that you mentioned the year 1899 with the Industrial Revolution and so on around the circle. And then you have further explanations around the outside about what these, the significance of these years and what happened to, to mark them as significant times in our development. So it's really worth people going to your website, AtlantisPhoenix.com and taking a look at that particular graphic because it really does explain it. They say the picture tells a thousand words and it really is a wonderful, wonderfully designed graphic the way you've done it because it makes it so easy to understand this huge cycle that we're in. Exactly. And, and then, of course, now 2012 has ended. And suddenly, if we thought the 20th century was moving fast, it's like suddenly we are in warp speed. People notice that there's something different. Things seem to be moving more quickly, um, and they don't know what it is. And in your volume five of your Akashic Records, someone asked Angel about, um, earth changes, and she gave them, you know, she 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 mentioned the the uh, warming, et cetera, et cetera, and then she said, "What I really see is this increasing frequency." Well, that's exactly what it is, and it is literally increasing frequency because we are getting doused, we're getting high levels of cosmic rays 
And cosmic rays, uh, like I said, they they are subatomic particles. They produce gamma rays when they start crashing or hitting, bumping into other particles, uh, or you know they have interactions. But they're at extremely high frequency once they enter the electromagnetic spectrum. So it literally is a frequency. And then what we have, we have another event that is happening. Now that we no longer have, I mean, I know it, it's going to be really hard for a lot of people to accept and believe that black holes aren't real because they've been trained to believe in black holes. But Stephen Hawking says, no, you just can't work this way because of quantum mechanics. But what we so what we have are several alternative theories. One of them is the electric universe, uh, which is with uh, Wallace Thornhill. He's a leading proponent of the electric universe, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's basically the concept that um, electricity or electric um, current uh, huge electric current power the galaxy and the cosmos, and from electric currents you get mag- you get magnetics, magnetism, and then you get interactions. You get electromagnetism, and gravity is actually a stepped down interaction of the electromagnetism. This is the, electro- the electric universe theory. And um, then you have another theory, and I happen to like both of these theories. What we have to remember right now is that we're dealing with theories. But the other theory that I really like a lot is Paul Violet. Um, <clears throat> and he has a theory of subquantum kinetics. And, and he... He did his his um, PhD was in systems theory, and when he was doing his PhD, he began to look at the evidence, and he is the one who really compiled a lot of this evidence that we had <clears throat> that we get from the center of the galaxy or the galactic core. We get explosions periodically. He calls them superwaves, and they're high-frequency energy, a lot of cosmic rays, and they they emanate from the core of the galaxy. They spread throughout the entire galaxy, okay? You can get very large superwaves, or you can get small ones periodically, and the last large was he believes was 13,000 years ago based on the evidence of beryllium-10 in the ice core. And then he's also tracked um, carbon-14, you know. And um, that there was, so there was a, a very large one 13,000 years ago. And going way back, he finds that there are, we get these periodically, we'll get large ones 
on average, of every 13 to 12 to 13,000 years. And that totally corresponds with Uchwa's dates. Because he says, uh, um, Law Violette says 12 to 13,000 years, and he's basing this on ice core debris, beryllium 10 from cosmic rays in the ice core. And you can go way back, you can find these periodic large super waves every 12 to 13,000 years. And we are due for one. Now, when I say we're due for one, it could be in 400 years. Right. Yes, when you're yes, dealing yes. with ice, when you're dealing with ice core debris and samples, you can't get like July fourth, nineteen twelve. You, if you're a hundred, you're within a hundred years. You're doing okay. Right. But right. It, has that the potential um, to wipe out the planet, like at the time it wiped out the 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 large mammals? Um. It has the potential. It's a very large one to cause mutations and to cause extinctions, okay? Right. But I think we, we, we've got to look at this from another, there's, there's a, an other points of view. We're looking at it from the, from the idea that <clears throat> we've got to protect ourselves from this danger. But we have to look at nature's process because we are natural creatures. We are creatures of nature. Um, we emerged from nature, yeah. and we returned to nature. And in the processes of nature, there are descending and ascending cycles. And the, the fact when old forms go extinct, like they did 12,000 years ago when our present age began, New forms appear, and the new forms will be more suited for the new environment. Yes. You see, it's nature's way of cleaning house right. and updating and keeping the species vibrant and active and adapted to their environments. Yes. And um, we th- so, so anyway, there's that, uh, there is that way of looking at it. And I think that's very, very important because we live with nature. We must respect nature. And and when it comes down to the bottom line, we as creatures survive and thrive through the spirit of nature. So we've got to deal with that. We've got to honor it. And instead of trying to hold on to to what seems safe and good right now. Um, in other words, as long as, in, in, instead of trying to hold on to this situation because it's the familiar situation, let's look at what will take the species, our species, the human species, to our next level, to a higher function. Yes. And that is what continually happens and that's how we evolve. That is our evolutionary process. Well, it's interesting that you should look at it in that way, Chrisanna, because that's what we're finding in the Akashic Records also, that it's not th- this entire 
evolutionary step that we're experiencing is not something to be feared. In fact, Angel Rose did no. go into great detail with, with, uh, in answers to people who were asking about radiation coming from Fukushima, for example. And she said that, you know, we're in this fear of radiation where in actual fact, all it is is just something that's vibrating at a higher frequency than we're familiar with. So therefore, it's destructive to us. But as we rise in frequency... Which is, which is the goal. As we rise in frequency, these things have no effect on us. So it's up to us not to be afraid of it, but to adapt and grow with these developments and these changes. So it's very refreshing to exactly. hear you say that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, um, what we're in now, we're in a real crisis. The real crisis that we're in is that we've got massive weather modification in the form of chemtrails. Mm-hmm. I mean, those exist. They're for real. And the best I can figure out, the objective is to try and shelter and protect us from change. Right? right? Yes. NASA is terrified of, a, um, of, of, of solar eruptions. Well, they might as well forget it because the sun has just entered a phase shift, which I predicted back in 1998-2002. The sun is not doing what it was supposed to do. And I'm telling you, in my book, I have a whole section on this. I literally cite NASA's predictions for solar activity starting in about 2006, Hanu. None of them happened because the sun is in it. The sun has its own cycle, and it is going into a new cycle. And uh, and I believe the ancients knew this, and that's why they ended the Mayan long count in 2012. They right. knew we were going into this cycle. It's tied to the sun, and the sun is tied to the galaxy. And these galactic radiations that we periodically are exposed to. And so trying to stop this cycle, trying to protect what we, what we think is valuable, is killing us. Right. It, you know, we're, we're exposed to heavy metals in chemtrails, biological agents, and that is more dangerous than anything. And it's really killing the nature spirit. The nature spirit, you know, we talk about the collapse of the biosphere and um, the, uh, which is really happening. But it's really happening largely because of what we've done and with these chemtrails, chemical agents, biological agents that we're injecting, and a lot of it is to either win a war take control of the real estate, and it's killing us. And who suffers more than anyone is nature spirits because nature is their home, and we're killing it, and the nature spirits are losing their home and their bodies. Right, yeah. That is our priority. Now let's just use that opportunity to take a little quick studio break and remind our listeners that... We're speaking with Chrisanna Duran, who can be contacted at atlantisphoenix.com. 
and you're listening to Enge Rose and Ahanu on the Honest to God series. We're taking a very, very quick break. We'll be right back after this. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Angel Rose and Ahanu. Well, welcome back to our show today, everyone, with Chrisana Duran. Chrisana, I have a couple questions. One, I want to know what are the implications? You know, what I'm understanding you saying, first of all, is that the chemtrails. Uh, their purpose is to really shield us from these uh, cosmic radiations that are coming in. But I want to ask you, since we're interfering with that process, what are uh, the actual implications for us as a planet? And then number two, I would like to go back to our relationship with the Arcturians, uh, precisely because, um, you know, when I decode a lot of those crop circles, many of them are are laid down by Arcturians. And I'd, I'd like to know more about them as a race and their relationship with us and what they have really told you uh, uh, about our history or our evolution. So could you could you go in that direction? I'll be happy to. Now, which one did you want to take up first? Let's go, let's what, go what with the, the chemtrails and one? the implications of those sprayings interfering with this cosmic cycle. Well, um, we're altering. We're altering the the natural process. Uh, we're altering it in an effort to um, to protect what we think is valuable at this time in our evolution. In a thousand years, we're not going to take as as important as we do now. But right now. In order to protect our investments, we we're just altering um, the the um, the natural process of the planet. It's called geoengineering, and um, and I I can't say that geoengineering is completely bad. There may be times. I mean, a farmer geoengineers to an extent in order to farm, right? But we don't know what we're doing. In other words, NASA does not know what it's doing. Whoever is laying down these chemtrails, they don't really, really understand the big picture. I think one of the things that is supposed to happen in a period like this is we enter this these high-frequency um, energies, and it activates DNA. And what the chemicals are doing is actually going DNA, and because I, I worked, I, I can tell you that I worked with a, uh, and it's not just chemtrails. It is the chemicals in our everyday life, including alcohol. We now have children being born to you know with fetal alcohol syndrome who have deleted chromosomes. I want to tell you. This is not as unusual as it may sound. So we are destroying, we're, we're actually 
editing out our own evolution by using these chemicals. Our, I mean, we are now so filled with chemicals um, for preservatives in food, for instance, like there's so much formaldehyde in our food that bodies are decaying in the grave much more slowly than they used to. We are altering the balance of our own DNA, our own genome. Um, we're getting severe damage um, with what we're doing chemically, um, with bio, chemically, biologically, and with nuclears. And it's and it's not that any of the, any one of those things is just generally bad. It's that we are don't really understand the consequences of what we're doing. We don't really see the road ahead of us. So I think it's very dangerous. And what will happen, because this is one of the first things my contacts talked to me about in 1987 and again in 1992, is that we are, they told me back in 92 that Basically, we are reducing our genome with chemicals and um, and biological agents and nuclears. We're actually reducing our genome, and that in 50 years, they said then that finding a, um, a high-functioning baby to incarnate in will be a premium. We're just we're actually just um, we're on a retrograde of our evolution. Well, what would you say, Chrisanna, to the, the 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 new children that we're seeing being born around the planet? Those that are displaying incredible abilities, really amazing athletic and musical abilities. I mean, that has to be coming from some some evolution of some kind. Absolutely, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And they also discussed that. They mentioned that in an, in another conversation. And that is that those people, okay, when you look at a human creature, you're looking at a, a composite being. You're looking at the actual physical body. You're looking at the mind. And you're looking at the soul. Okay. And um, and and so when the soul enters the physical, you have the physical creature, and then the soul enters it, and the mind and the energy of the soul affects the 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 physical creature. There's an exchange between the physical creature and the soul. There's an exchange of thought, and there's an exchange of energy. So we have some children who are coming in. And they have, they're on evolutionary lines that are ready to activate. And the soul energy that comes in activate, can activate DNA. <laughs> so that is what, um, that's the way I understand it. So those people who are ready, who are able to take the next step are going to take it, period. And those who, who are not will simply step back 
and eventually they'll just there are some people among us who really missed I, it, I'm getting into a lot of personal opinion here and I don't want to go there too much but <clears throat> some not not every soul is the same and not every soul needs the same thing there are souls among us who really are not ready to make the next step to take that leap mm-hmm. um but they but they gain simply by the experience of being here at this time. Right. Yes. So no one's gonna totally lose. It's like we um when our species started three hundred thousand to four hundred thousand years ago, Homo sapiens, um we had souls who were very inexperienced to begin incarnating in that early evolution. And and so let's say that you have a soul who was very inexperienced, came in 300,000 years ago. He's been incarnating for 300,000 years. He's gained a lot of experience, right? But he's not ready to move to the next step. And that's not a loss. For him, it's, it's he might actually need to kind of stand back for a while and and find the next cycle to start incarnating again. This is getting too complex. Yeah, good thing because we do talk a lot to people uh, about a different perspective in looking at this whole picture because, you know, I do see uh, less people on the planet and so consequently I have a lot of people in fear about that and wanting to know, you know, are we all going to die, really? And, uh, you know, I do ex- no. I do explain it the way you're explaining it, that we have to look at species that are leaving um, animals and, you know, things that are going extinct now, and also ourselves, you know, people who are leaving the planet, you know, not from uh, a horrible uh, frame of reference, but really, like you were saying, Krasana, it's a natural evolution for the time period that we're in, and you know, when we go to source about it, source says, you know, people have been coming and going and species have been uh, being born and been dying uh, forever. You know, this isn't new. It's just, it's just, uh, it's a different way to look at it so that we're not in so much fear about the whole thing. Exactly. And at the same time, those people, because <clears throat> if, you, if you think of this as a garden, which it is, this planet is a garden. It's a garden of evolution. And, and you think of it as a garden, and there is a time to let, there is a time to allow expansion and growth of all kinds. Okay? And then you get all kinds of, of uh, genius and brilliant um, mutations and changes. Mm-hmm. But then there's a time when you say, okay, we let this garden develop, you know, grow freely now, and we need to, it's getting overcrowded, and what we need to do is pick the, pick those lines that have evolved in this time, and that are most capable of moving forward, 
into a higher soul evolution, and, 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 and we just can't ignore the soul. And, and let's move them forward. And let's take our seeds that we've, we've gotten from everything, and we'll, we'll, we will use these other seeds to start a different garden. You see, I don't, I'm not sure that that's really a good analogy. However, um, <clears throat> the well, what I think is totally overlooked, totally, and the Arcturians have made this very clear to me, is that the objective of an evolution, what made the human evolution possible, was the soul, the human soul that began incarnating in the species. That is the point when we became true humans. It is the soul. And if we strip out all this religion that says, oh, you know, um, you're going to go to heaven, you're going to go to hell, and you cannot know the soul, and it's some holy thing, and only the priests have control, and you take all of that away, and you look at the soul as a force of nature, because the soul did evolve the soul has evolution, and it is a force of nature. It influences nature, it directs nature, and we, our society, has has entered a denial of that. Um, and I believe that's just pure ego. You know, it's like forget the soul. We are the intellectuals of this planet, and we're going to intellect this thing the way we want it. And don't worry about the soul. You know, let the priest take care of the soul. We're going to take this planet where we want it to go. Well, you can't, that doesn't work. Because our evolution is about the soul. Mm -hmm. And the soul is not an abstract thing for, you know, that goes to heaven and leaves the body behind. The soul is is a palpable, it's a real force of nature right here, right now. Today. Let me ask and you this question, Chrisanna. Let me ask you a question which in lots of ways blindsides many, many people. But when you talk about the soul's evolution and the negative influence of religions and side by side with that you're talking about a wonderful potential or opportunity for evolution. Now, my question is, do you think that those that don't want humanity to progress... Do you think that that's an organized, form, formed movement, let's call it, or a negative agenda? Or is it just that a bunch of people are in fear and don't know which way is up and they're, they're striking out and acting in all different directions out of ignorance? I think it's both. Right. In other words, I do think that there, there has been an agenda in place and I do relate that agenda to the Anunnaki. You know, and the Anunnaki were the Sumerian gods who came here to mine gold. They had an agenda. And I'm not even going to say it's a bad agenda. It was their agenda. They had a problem, right? And their problem was they want, they were attempting to utilize humans who are a free will species as servants or slaves. Right. And, and even they 
slavery was illegal among the Sumerians. So they had to come up with some weird solutions, and they did that. But at the same time, we can't just blame them because we are a free will species. And that is a part that I think is very, very difficult for a lot of people to understand. And it took me a long time to really understand how I ended up here at this time in free will. Because it's not in the details, it's in the big picture that we find the free will. Right, yes. And so um, so I do think that a lot of what has happened here is just that you had ignorance, you had karma, a lot of karma, but karma's not necessarily bad, it's part of the whole picture. It's what you're learning. Your karma is your lesson, you know. And... Um, and they did they just did silly things. And everything that has happened on this planet is part of the human genome. We can't say, Oh, some ET did it or the reptilians did it. No, it's part of our genome. And if our genome was different, we'd react to it differently. You see? So everything you see, every reaction you see is a part of our genome. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a part of the human experience. So you get a combination, and and the Anunnaki had their problems, and I, I they very carefully from their point of view, we humans had to be managed. They they had a problem, they had to manage it, and a lot of what we see is their idea of management. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yes. yes. We had a very interesting gentleman on the show with us some weeks back. And he had written a book mm-hmm. called The Anunnaki of Nibiru. Gerald Clark was his name. Fascinating study, in-depth study of our origins and the power and control agenda that's out there now and how it's manipulating and all of that. And I found that very interesting. And it, it dovetails very neatly into what you're describing now also. And the, this whole business of the influence of religions, you know, I think it's responsible for such a huge amount of ignorance and keeping people enslaved that it's it's hard to comprehend really that adult male men and women actually believe a lot of this this stuff it, it it's it's shocking really when you when you think about it is shocking yeah yeah but you see we are a young species we're a young species 300,000 years if it is a drop in the bucket Right? When you look at the older races who are part of the galactic um, scheme of things, we look at our parent races. I do want to say, however, that according to the Arcturians, um, Zachariah Sitchin, um, he did a good job of translating what he translated. And I, what happened, however, is that Sitchin, the errors were in Sitchin, were in the actual text that Sitchin was using. And that one of the biggest errors is that there were numerous ET groups on this planet at the same time that the Anunnaki were here. The Arcturians were here. Um, the Adebarons were here. Um, I, 
I mean, we could just go on and on about all the different ET races that were on this planet at one time or another. So the Anunnaki were never totally alone. They did have to deal with other ETs. And that picture was not presented in the Sumerian text. You know, the Sumerians were interested in telling their story. And they wanted to be... um, take control and protect their interest in in um, Africa and, and Sumer, Babylon, and expand on from there. Um, so they didn't say, well, yes, you know, we had a run-in with the Arcturians today, <laughs> right? They didn't record that. Now, it's in there, if you look, if you read between the lines, at, at the information that was omitted, from the Sumerian text, like, well, they just didn't talk about the Great Pyramid until about 9,000 years ago. Sitchin says that very clearly. He says he did not know when the Great Pyramid was built, that it um, suddenly it was just they were having a pyramid war. In other words, somehow the pyramid, the Great Pyramid, came into existence without ever being mentioned in the Sumerian text. And Sitchin noted that. He said that was, he said, but by 9,000 years ago, they were in a pyramid war. So the first thing you know about the Great Pyramid in the Sumerian text is suddenly the Sumerians are going to war over it. Now, why would that be? Like, let's look at this. They didn't build the darn thing. Right, yes. The Great Pyramid was not built by the Sumerians. Suddenly, it was built. And they wanted control, and they went to war over it. And that's exactly what the Sumerian texts say. It's right. exactly what Sitchin translated. So there were other ETs. They were doing great works. It wasn't just the Sumerians, what the Anunnaki. But the Anunnaki, let me say, they wanted control, and that comes through loud and clear in their text <laughs> and in their religions. Right. Ask you then, because there's there are people who believe that the human species that we are now are the result of the Anunnaki uh, experimentations, and so. But you know, I've I've always had a little bit of a problem with that. I I always thought that there was other humans uh, on this earth at the same time. So can you clear? Can you clear up the origin of our particular human species as we know it now? I certainly will be happy to. In in fact, I will send you a book that goes into that in detail. It is, I did not write the book. It's called My Brother is a Hairy Man, and it goes into the detail. In fact, um, information in that book has just recently been validated by new DNA studies. So... According to the Arcturians, the Arcturian maze, and the Arcturian maze wrote that book with Ida Cannonberg. Okay, and he says he doesn't give us a date. He says oh, the uh, the, the, the true human, the proto-human, were the Elohim, and they had been on the planet long, long ago, and they left. 
And then they began to think about coming back. They, they thought they, you know, they, they were looking at the possibility of returning. And that was like a million and a half years ago. They were thinking about returning. So what they did is they wanted to, they did a study. They did the logical thing. And they, um, they bred Bigfoot to, uh, and they used their own genes. Um, Bigfoot was bred with um, several parents. Uh, from several different species. Australopithecus africanus was one of the species. Um, and there's another one that Mays did not name, that he was a close relative of Homo erectus, but was not Homo erectus, okay? And, and um, but they had to use a certain percentage of the, of the human genome for Bigfoot because they wanted to get his reaction to uh, to the environment on Earth. So they had to have their own genes in here. Right. And so um, at, at one time, so then what happened, the, these creatures were here when the Anunnaki came here. Homo erectus didn't just fall off of, out of a tree. Yes. He was put here. There were several ET races that were engineering the Ardeverons. Uh, very, very interesting. The Ardeverons um, say that that about seven, and this was in a contact in Germany with a family called the Faisal family, and they, the Ardeverons told them about their breeding program they are basically the parent race of the Germanic people. And they say 780,000 years ago, they bred a race of workers on the, for the earth. And then they left. The Adeverons left. And when they came back, the workers had all rebelled. So they, I mean, doesn't that sound like earth, right? Everyone's mm, rebelled. Yes. Yeah. So they gathered up the workers, they identified the ones that were most similar to them and began working with them, and those are the Germanic people. Now, what lends credence to that story is that there were skulls found in Africa, 1914, thereabouts, at a village called Boskop, B-O-S-K-O-P, and they carbon dated those skulls to 700,000 years ago, and they are virtually modern human skulls. There was actually an article in Discover uh, magazine about them. There was a big controversy about those skulls because they are so close to being to the modern human. Well, that's the time period that the Adeverons say they had bred workers for, in, on the earth and then left. And while they were gone, all the workers rebelled. Okay? So you have numerous ET groups introducing different workers, different species for different reasons. Like Bigfoot was introduced to, to do environmental testing and researching to see if the Elohim wanted to or could return to the Earth. And um, there were several species 
there were several branches of Homo erectus. There wasn't just one branch. This is according to Mays. And Mays said that, and this is one of the reasons I love the Arcturians. Mays said, so you had big here, he had 20% human DNA. And then when human souls, now the human soul is at a certain evolution in souls. It's not the same as a dog soul. You know, I mean, there are, there's a soul to every creature. But when human souls began incarnating into apes, suddenly Homo sapiens had to be hurried up. Okay, that evolution was speeded up considerably, and you got Neanderthal. And from Neanderthal, you got Cro-Magnon, and the Arcturians worked with all, you know, Bigfoot, Neanderthal, and Cro-Magnon. And they were using the area around the Levantine Corridor, which is over by Turkey, you know, over by the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then... Mays makes this really mysterious comment, and he says, they gathered up Bigfoot, Neanderthal, and Cro-Magnon, and took them to their new country, Lemuria. So that implies, and Ida did not ask him, what do you mean, new country, Lemuria? She was just taking notes. <clears throat> and But that implies that Lemuria had been founded as a as a distinct country, and Bigfoot, Neanderthal, and Cro-Magnon were taken there. They were removed from the Levantine Corridor, taken to Lemuria, and they very specifically said all three of those species lived simultaneously on Lemuria. They did not, you know, <clears throat> in this Darwinian theory of evolution, you get, you, you know, you get your monkey and then you get your <clears throat> Homo erectus, and, and they're all so linear. You know, it's like everyone is going to be very polite and not get in anybody else's way. Mm, yes. Right? So back in 98 and 99, Mays told Ryder, oh, no. They were all simultaneously here at once. And there's another one that I, I'm not going to tell you what it was. So he left this big hole in this mystery. Right. Guess what? There was a study published in January of 2014, last month, in Nature Journal. Nature Journal is perhaps the most prestigious science magazine in the world, right? <clears throat> was it January? I'd have to look. It was it was in the it was within three months. I think it was no, it was not January. It was it was November. They they did another study last month published another paper that was mind blowing. But this one must have been in November when they published this. It's called Mystery Ancestor, and and <clears throat> they explain in the paper that you know well now that we've improved our DNA science and and. We were interpreting the test, you know, the findings incorrectly, and now we've got, we've discovered a new human ancestor, um, and they found it through DNA. They didn't find the bones. Well, I mean, okay, 400,000 years, what kind of bones are left, right? It's been a big problem with doing the archaeology. Yeah. And 
So now that they have improved the DNA science, they figured out how to interpret the studies better, they find, um, and actually I'm going to look this up. I can give you the exact date and everything for this uh, study in just a second. Anyway, they find that, no, it, the, the article actually said it was a sort of a Lord of the Rings world. You had Neanderthal, you had Denisovan, and co- cohabiting the same cave and interbreeding with each other. You had many early human early humans who were interbreeding with each other, and they're finding this through improved DNA science. And they found a mystery ancestor. No one knows who it is. They still haven't figured out who it is in November when the paper was published. But all of this very closely aligns with what they said back in 1999. So, um, and they also said that our modern human, because now we've really interbred, right? Um, is the it has is the result of a number of four apparent races. It's not just one. It's not just two. Right. It's a number of them. Yes, yes, yes. So, and that is what, huh? Yeah. That's not the DNA. That's not the science is telling us now. Yes. Now I've got a question for you, Chrisanna, and. Unfortunately, after this, we do have to start winding down our show for today, so I'll ask you to give us a a kind of a summary. But my question has puzzled me for a long time, and it's about all of this activity that's been going on in terms of our 3D Earth and evolution and all the activity of the Anunnaki and the Arcturians and the DNA splicing and right up to modern day now when you mentioned about chemtrails and all of this activity, which in lots of ways is is physical activity. Now, my question is, why would a spirit, why would an essence of, of God or a spirit being want to incarnate into one of these physical bodies in the first place, especially when it may not have been so well developed at that point in time? I am going to I'm going to give you my answer. I can't say it's right for anyone else, but it is the okay. way I understand. Uh-huh. And that is the soul's evolution, okay? And I again, I go back to the Hindu model which I find to be, for me, to be the, the right model. It's the one that really gives me the answers I need. So in the beginning, you have um, Brahma. Brahma is just um, the, the source. What you would call the source is Brahma. And it's not physical. It's a non-physical essence. And, but all physical form unfolds from Brahma. Okay? So it is the source. And it doesn't just unfold all in once. It unfolds in sequences or in, in an order. And, and that's the, the cycle of creation. And it extends over billions of years. 
And um, so from Brahma, from this complete undifferentiated one, is the one, which I depict in one of the um, graphs that I posted. If you scroll down, I show this. I show this. And and at some point, an, an, indi- an individual identity emerges from this one source, and it, it will become a soul. But at the point that it emerges, it is just a an individualized, differentiated aspect of the one. But it it will go through it, it so then it starts evolving. It, it seeks experience because in experience it it expands. See? Okay. It's all about expansion. Nice. And it's about gaining knowledge, gaining experience. So this individual viewpoint or this viewpoint of individuality will go through all the kingdoms. It'll go through mineral plant, animal, right? And with every every sequence of its of its experience it gains. It gains in wisdom, it gains in knowledge, it gains in understanding, and it begins to build a mind. And the mind has energy. The mind can be measured. You can see, you can actually measure the presence of mind. And um and through these untold billions of years or trillions of years, the this this what started out as a completely naked spiritual being has gone through all this experience and acquires begins to develop a sense of a, a sense of individual personality, self, and enters the human evolution. Because that is what distinguishes the human evolution. We have identity of self and free will. Okay? okay. And <clears throat> any experience is better than anything is experience. It's it's never there's never a loss when you're gaining experience because from that, in the natural evolution, you will gain understanding. Without, without experience, you can't have understanding. Yes. And so. So that is why, and then and then you get your karma. You know, you've got to balance out. It's all a balancing act. It's an act between action and reaction, positive and negative. And and um, so that is why I think that a soul would incarnate even in an ape or a very low human. Okay, that makes sense. All right, can you just give us a, a one-liner wrap-up, please, Chrisanna Duran, because we do have to wind down. I do have my own little summary that I want to run through. Uh, perhaps I'll do that okay. very quickly. We have spoken today about the preferential direction of cosmic rays. We talked about Stephen Hawkins not believing in black holes and that change in the professional opinion. We've talked about Yogananda and his teacher and the calculation of the yuga cycles. 
super waves of high frequency, galactic waves. We mentioned about Bigfoot and DNA mutation. We talked about super waves and the extinction of the large mammals, the evidence of tree rings and ice cores, Edgar Cayce's mention of Arcturus. We talked about stargates, the Babylonian star catalogue, um, naming of Arcturus as a yoke or yuga. We talked about the speed of change in this time period, the increasingly high levels of cosmic rays. Uh, we discussed the electric universe theory, the subquantum kinetics theory, the cause of mutation and extinction. We talked about chemtrails. My God, didn't we really get through a lot of stuff today in this short time? We spoke about the altering of the balance of our own DNA with chemicals and biological agents. Then we discussed the soul's relationship with the body, the opportunity for the evolution of the soul in this time period, and the influence of religions on our soul's evolution. We talked about the Anunnaki agenda, about karma. You mentioned about Zachariah Sitchin, the Elohim, and the skulls of Buskop. And you mentioned about Lemuria and the mind and we finished up coming right back here to talk about how the spirit enters the body now that has been an absolutely amazing electric if you'll excuse the pun electric discussion <laughs> yeah 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 so give us give us a, a very very quick summary of your work as, as best you can oh my um uh, the web of life and cosmos um by the way i just want to quickly mention that the article about it that was published in the journal was 19 November 2013. It's called Mystery Humans Find Stuff Ancient Sex Life. It's about the number of species that were present on the planet. And my, my work is about understanding the web in which we live, how the web shapes our, our experience and how we give back to the web intelligence and even greater that's what i do all right we do have to leave it there our sponsor this week was diamond sun hosting consciously hosting your spiritual website since 1993 at diamond Remember, the Eight Steps to Freedom is at 8stepstofreedom.com. Angel Rose's book, A Time of Change, at timeofchange.info. And The Nature of Reality is at thenatureofreality.info. Remember, our group Akashic Records sessions online on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Pacific time. More information about that at worldofempowerment.com. And... It could be you next week. If you'd like to come on the show and discuss your passion or your spiritual business, do contact us at angelrose at angelrose.com. So, Chrisanna, we have to say a huge thank you. That has been absolutely enlightening, a really, really fantastic discussion. Huge, big discussions of cosmic proportions and at the same time all the way down to real practical 3D information and I have to express my gratitude to you for, able, for being able to express it in easily understandable terms. It's been really, really wonderful. Thank you, Chrisana. We'll talk you. again uh -huh. soon. Thank you, Angel. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.
thank you and blessings. Now, that was Chrisanna Duran, and she can be contacted at atlantisphoenix.com, atlantisphoenix.com. It leaves us to say goodbye until next Saturday at 8 a.m. Pacific time. We send you our love, our blessings, and thanks for listening to Ahanu and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. And as we say in Ireland, Slán agus Benacht de Livgalair. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. 60 seconds. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu.